Coming up next on Abounding Grace. We often refer to the good old days. And there are some good old days, but we have to be so careful because the good old days are right now. God is developing in your life right now some new good old days. Right now. He's doing a fresh work. Not only are they now, but until he comes, the good old days are still ahead of us. And I hope you believe this. The good old days are ahead of us. This is amazing grace. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Glad you could join us as Ed continues our series, Loving the Past, Living the Future. Maybe today you feel as though your best days are behind you. Well, we've got some encouraging news for you to hear and embrace. Our best days as believers of Christ are ahead of us. Pastor Ed will explain why as he opens up Philippians 3. Open your Bibles, would you, to Philippians chapter 3 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Our Best Days Are Ahead of Us. Our Best Days Are Ahead of Us. And as I was preparing this series of messages, my, my heart is overwhelmed with a sense of love and appreciation. You know, I think it's important, even though I feel this a lot, I may or may not express it to you, but you know, church, church family, I love you and appreciate you in my life. I love this church, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. First of all, as a fellow believer, because who I am, I'm a brother walking this path with you. I was saved and redeemed just like you. Yes, there's some differences between us, perhaps in our responsibility and our place or role in the church, but this is our church. This is where my kids grew up. This is where they were discipled. They, these are the youth group they were a part of. This, this is where they had children's ministry. This is where they too moved with me from California, my family, to be a part of this fellowship family. And if you would have told us back then what we're involved in right now, I wouldn't have believed it, but it was in the heart of God. And so I love and appreciate you, this church, and all the messiness and all the difficulties. As we look through, sometimes we get behind the difficulties and we just feel oppressed and beat down. But in any church that's moving in the realm of salvation and lives being changed, you have to understand it's just going to get messy and things are going to happen and everything's not going to be so clear cut and there's not going to be clear cut lines on how things happen and what. And so I love and appreciate this church. I love and appreciate you and I count it a privilege to be used of God in your life. And I count it a privilege for God to use you in my life. I love the church, but I especially love this church and what God has done in my lives, in my life, my kids' lives, my family, my wife, even my extended family, to see what God has done through our lives despite the difficulties. Because when we gather together, the gathering is a gathering of love. It's a gathering where we come together and there's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope that just flows through the people of God. God has done great things in the past. When we can look back and so, be so appreciative of the past. I mean, now here we are as a church family. 
entering into our 20th year. Not all of you have been with us for 20 years, but for whatever time you have been a part of this fellowship family, you're important and significant. And here we are now, 19 years behind us, we're entering into our 20th year of ministry. And so we can look back and have much to be appreciated. We, we appreciate a lot of what happened in the past. And we look back to all sorts of highlights. But listen, we don't live in the past. We can't become stuck in the past. I mean, I, I think of it this way. Not only do we have a history as a fellowship family here in Colorado, but we also have a rich history and the fellowship family of churches that we're a part of. You know, we were birthed through the Calvary Chapel movement. We are a Calvary Chapel. That, that's where I was saved. That's where I was discipled. And when, when I launched out from California to find a place, to be led by the Lord, to find a place where there wasn't a church like this, this is where he led us. And we, in our DNA, go back to the Jesus movement back in the late 60s. While Calvary Chapel wasn't the only ministry involved in the Jesus movement, it's the stream of church that we're a part of. But I know even as I mention that, as I mention men like Chuck Smith, or I mention men like Jeff Johnson, or Greg Laurie, Skip Heitzig, some of you may be familiar with them because they're on our radio station, but most of you aren't familiar with them. This is what you know. And that's a good thing. We can't, see, we love the past, and I do. I love the heritage. Forever until I meet Jesus Christ, I will love my pastor, Jeff. I will love him. My love only grows for him as I serve and begin to appreciate the difficulties that brother endured so that he could get up every week, week after week, and teach us the Bible and share the gospel with us and love us in Jesus' name. I love Pastor Jeff. I text him and reach out to him just about every week. I listen to his Bible studies every week. He's my pastor, and I love him. I love his wife, Karen, his family, and all that God is doing. That, that is our heritage. And yet, we can't become stuck in the past. Because God's doing a new thing. Not a new thing that eliminates the past, but God is doing a new thing. He's always moving forward. We were even talking about this on the way into church uh, this morning with my daughter. We're just talking about things because she's been here from the beginning. And, and I was just thinking back when we were in the school meeting, I said, I told her, I told her something like, you know, if we were planning the church again in the school, I'd do a few things differently. I'd make the room look a little prettier and I'd set things up and we'd cover things up. But back then... I didn't know what I was doing, and I just figured if we come together, we don't care what, if there's egg on the walls or murals on the walls, but, you know, we would do things differently. But then she said, but, but Dad, you know, the things that you're talking about now, they weren't really happening back there in 1999. So, so what I'm doing is I'm thinking back to the past with what I've learned now. And yet, back then, that wasn't, that, that's what, not what you did. We served in the era and the time that we served. But we're not in 1999 anymore. Did you know that? It is not just flash. It is not 1999 anymore. Or the year 2000. Remember the year 2000? Remember how we, remember how we entered into the year 2000? Y2K. Oh, I'll never forget it. Because I was still working in the corporate world back then. And much of our business was built on computers. And so... While my family was ushering in Y2K at midnight with some friends from out of town, where was I? At work. Because the world was going to end. And we were on this multi-conference call. All of our offices all around the country just waiting for the world to end. 
Nobody thought in HR that if the really, really happened, then the phones won't work either. But we were on them, <laughs> waiting for everything, watching the clock tick. Five, four, three, two, one, and nothing happened. And so I was the first one saying, look, bro, nothing happened. I'm going home. And I was the first one to leave the conference call. Y2K, but it's not Y2K anymore. We got other things to be concerned about. And now you kind of go through. Now, you know, we've gone through the 10s. We're now into the teens. I'm pretty sure the teens will be over. And in our walk with Jesus Christ, we have to be sensitive into the time that we're serving Jesus. We have to have our eyes wide open to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true word of God, to the people that are in front of us. And so as we look to God's word today, we need to remember that our best days are ahead of us. We often refer to the good old days. And there are some good old days, but we have to be so careful because the good old days are right now. God is developing in your life right now some new good old days. Right now. He's doing a fresh work. Not only are they now, but until he comes, the good old days are still ahead of us. And I hope you believe this. The good old days are ahead of us. The best is still yet to come. You know, that's a phrase that I've adopted in my life. I didn't always adopt it. Didn't always say it. As a matter of fact, it was after great tragedy in my life as I was grasping for some things. I don't remember how I saw it. If I saw it on a plaque, I saw it on a, on a t-shirt. I don't remember how I saw it. But I remember when it came alive to me and it said, you know, just the phrase, the best is yet to come. The best, it's kind of like, you know, now you see it everywhere. It was not very, it wasn't very, about six years ago, I didn't see it very much. But now you see it everywhere. It's everywhere. It's on shoes, on cups, on everything. And we'll have it on a shirt here pretty soon as a church. It's everywhere. But back then, it's kind of like buying a car. Have you ever done this where you've really wanted a car and you don't really see it on the road at all? And you're like, I really want that car. You go down and get that car. And once you buy it, everybody has that car. Have you guys ever experienced that? You never saw it before, but now that you bought it, like, oh, I don't want it anymore. I want the one I never saw. Well, that phrase is like that. And, and it's true. The best is yet to come. Now, that really not, is not just speaking to the here and now. That phrase really is speaking to heaven. Because the best is yet to come. One day you're going to see Jesus face to face, and that takes care of business right there. Everything that you've ever longed for and ever desired is going to be fulfilled in the presence of the Lord. But I do believe it has an application for us individually and as for a church. That as many good old days as we might have experienced, the good old days are still ahead of us. And you know, this is a, this is a relationship that we enjoy with Jesus Christ that the Bible often refers to as a race. I love that picture. Races are run forward, not backwards. Every race I've ever seen, it's forward. You don't run it backwards. You don't do very well running a race always looking over your shoulder. It's forward. It's moving on, pressing forward. You know, I've been running this race now in my life for 28 years, just about 28 years. And one more month, it'll be 28 years running this race. And I'm finding in my life the finish line is closer to me than ever before. Now, of course, some of you are a little bit younger than me and say, yeah, yeah, that's because you're getting older, bro. That's the way it is. That's what happens when you get old. And it's true, I'm getting older. But let me tell you this. Now, some of you, are you thinking about how old I am? I'm not telling you. Because <laughs> if I've been racing, running this race for 28 years, I got saved about, you know, five or six. 
I got saved when I was 23 years old. You do the math. Don't do the math. Listen to the Bible study. <laughs> I'm getting this urgency in my life that the finish line is up ahead. It's closer than ever before, but not just because of my age, but because God can require our soul at any moment. Life is fragile. And you know, while I know that age is getting me and age is getting you closer to the end of the race, it's not because of age. The Bible teaches us that none of us know when our race will end. None of us know the expiration date on our bodies. You know, we could, the today could be the last day of our lives. You know why? Because the rapture could take place today. And we could be caught up in the air forever to be with the Lord. However, there was a brother in the church and I said something like, you know what, bro, if the rapture, and he, he and I were friends, he got mad at me, but it's all right. I said, you and I, you know, um, if the rapture takes place, the keys to the church are in my desk. Have at it. <laughs> God bless you guys. I'll see you later. That's all I got. It's a joke. Here's the thing. If not the rapture, none of us know the end of our lives. None of us do. None of us know when our lives will end. You know, you look to the, those of you that are younger, you look to those of us that are older and say, of course, you're older than us. But let me tell you something, everybody ages. And there just comes to be a point some year, I don't know what the number is, that seems like age accelerates. And things happen so quickly. And you look back and you're like, wow, where has the time gone? Jesus put it this way. You can jot it down in Luke chapter 12. He gives us this illustration of a rich man who was very successful in business. He was very successful in accumulating stuff. And he talks about this guy having all this stuff and then building barns to keep putting it in. And his, the voice that Jesus gives to this guy in his parable says this, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose, whose will those things be which you have provided? And so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Bible describes our relationship with God as a race. And we need to run our race every day as though it were our last day because it could be. Jesus is to be all-consuming. That's right. We run our race for Jesus Christ. We run it for him. He's the one that died for us. He's the one that forgave our sins. He's our high priest that sympathizes with us. He's the one interceding for us. We run it for him. Because I'll tell you what, if you're running your race right now for people, if that's the motive, you're doing it for someone else, you will be sadly disappointed. Because if you haven't learned yet, people will let you down and disappoint you and even hurt you or take advantage of you. Even people that you look up to, people that you love deeply. If you do it for the applause of men, you do anything for the applause of men, you will be sorely disappointed because even professional athletes will tell you that the applause of men is very fickle. It usually only comes when they like you and appreciate you. When they don't like you and appreciate the same hands that were clapping for you, you might find around your neck or attached to a knife in your back. The reality is, 
is that when we run our race, we run it for the Lord. It's the high calling of God in our lives, which brings us to our text here in Philippians chapter 3, as it relates to us personally and also to us as a church family. We're inspired and encouraged by Paul's heart here. A man that has been used greatly by God, he writes in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I, mark these words, press on. And mark this, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Right? We're always the responder. This isn't a great weight of duty and legalism and work hard for Jesus. Listen, Jesus has laid hold of you. He dwells in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. The natural response is to go for it. God, you love me. I love you. And it's a natural response of abiding and enjoying Jesus. So Paul gets to this point where I'm pressing on and I'm laying hold. Notice verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, and here's the big phrase, but one thing I do. So let me help you Bible students for a moment because this one thing I do is going to be followed by two things. But the two things are not the one thing that he's doing. They're how he's doing it. Okay, so let me explain. So he says, this one thing I do, jump to verse 14. Here's the one thing. I press toward the goal. That's the one thing. And then you say, well, how do I do it? Go back to verse 13. Number one, forgetting those things that are behind. And number two, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. And as we enter into a new year, and we sense in a very real way a clean slate we have to ask ourselves, are we stuck in the past? Are we stuck in the past of unforgiveness? Are we stuck in the past of ministry, perhaps? Are we stuck in the past of regrets? I mean, if you look over your shoulder and you stare at the rearview mirror of life long enough, you will find things that disappoint you in your life. You will find things that you would do differently. You would find things that, if you're not careful, will immobilize you from moving forward. We all make mistakes. That's the problem with running a race. We all make mistakes. We all trip. We all falter. Sometimes I watch men and women just walk off the track and say, I don't want to race anymore. I don't want to race. I'm done. This is crazy. It's ridiculous. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And a lot of different motives behind that. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. You know, there's a lot of different things behind it. But God wants you and me to continue to run our race. That what he's begun in you, he's faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But there's something worse. There's something worse than walking off the track. And I know it's a real silly illustration, but stick with me. There are those that don't walk off the track, but instead they kind of slow down, fade over to the side, pull up a lounge chair, sit down, open a box of Twinkies, and I found out they are still making Twinkies, open up a box of Twinkies, have a two-liter bottle of soda, and start drinking on the race of life. They're just sitting there doing nothing. And they're still on the track. They still have their shoes on. They still have all the gear that they need, but they're no longer in the race. And you say, well, whatever, Ed, at least I'm on the race, and at least I'm on the track, and whatever, it's my life, I can do whatever I want with it. Listen, it is not just for you, but you know there's a lot of people running the race with you, on the track, lapping you perhaps, and they're discouraged, and they're beat up, and they're looking for a way out. And so as they're lapping around, they'll go, wait a minute, man, and the first time they saw the Twinkie, they said, no way, I don't want the Twinkie, and they kept going. 
The second time they saw it and there was a little frosting down your mouth, they're like, I don't know, man. Maybe the third time they stop and wipe it off. The fourth time they go, is there another chair? And they go, oh, sure, there's plenty of chairs for people that just want to sit and do nothing. Pull out a chair. Hey, how many Twinkies you got in there? I got an unlimited supply. And your influence on people can be so negative. It's so silly. I'm sitting on a racetrack with a Twinkies. You know what that sounds like in the church? Criticism, complaining, not going after the loss. We get upset about things that actually really mean nothing in the scheme of God's church and God, what God's doing on the earth today. But we're all caught up in it. You know, it's easy. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, years and years and years. You've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. You've listened to the radio. You, you've heard Bible studies. You've got all these spiritual nuggets. You've read a lot of Christian books. You, you're in a place where how, how you, you have so many years under your belt. And that has made you cynical and critical even to the point where you've become now a Christian connoisseur of sermons. Oh, you know, I don't like that illustration. Oh, you know, I didn't, you didn't handle the Greek right there. Oh, you didn't say it right. You didn't do it right. Oh, you know, they didn't have the words right up there. Oh, Ian missed the key. Whatever. And no longer is the Holy Spirit touching your heart, moving you, breaking you, bringing you to the place of surrender. You go, Lord, I love you and I love this world and I want to fulfill my call in your life. I want to press on. I want to push forward. I want to gain what God has for me. Instead, we become consumers. Don't think it couldn't happen to you. We live in a consumer society. I mean, we buy and we buy and we buy. It's not necessarily simple. I'm not speaking to that. But listen, Jesus said this. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. What are the two most important businesses in the world today? To feed that worry of what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat. It surrounds us. Jesus was profoundly wise, was he not? God in human flesh to warn us about the things that could do the most damage to us. But I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about the sinful part of that at all, just life. Jesus said to be careful you don't get weighed down by the cares and concerns of life, just life. Just the difficulties of life will cause you not to want to run the race. And then all of a sudden, instead of being excited for the things of God, excited for what Jesus is doing, excited about the power of the gospel, hopeful, encouraged, waiting on God, crying out to God, our prayers become, well, God, what have you done for me lately? Oh, we don't use those words. Because if we did, it would just like really strike us. What? What am I doing? Why am I, why am I so demanding on God? Why haven't you done this, God? Why aren't you doing this, God? And then that turns, and you take your eyes off of heaven and they come down and then you come into a church family like this and you go, well, you're not, what are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for me lately? And an attitude like that just is never satisfied and never hungry for the lost. And there's a lost and dying world that God has put us on the planet as a bridge. Hey, thanks for tuning in today to Abounding Grace. What you just heard from Pastor Ed Taylor is part one of his message, Our Best Days Are Ahead of Us. We'll share the rest tomorrow. And remember, you can access these messages online, too, at calvaryaurora.org. If you missed any portion of our series, Loving the Past, Living the Future, catch up today at calvaryaurora.org. 
Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our mobile apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora, and you'll notice both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Thanks for your generous gifts to support Abounding Grace. Your donation will serve to help us bring these daily studies to your station and many others like it every day. We're consistently receiving wonderful reports from listeners of how God is using the program in their life. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. It will give you practical ways to resolve conflicts and stop them from reoccurring and help you understand the first steps to build a solid foundation, as well as give you a plan for building the relationship you're seeking. Get a copy today by calling 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web. That's 877-30-GRACE. There's more to come in our series, Loving the Past, Living the Future. Join us the rest of this week as Pastor Ed Taylor encourages us to learn from the past while looking forward to what God wants to do in the present and future. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 